Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Devotion. I'm your host, Michael Allen, Senior Pastor of left off was in Genesis 17. So a little bit of review, okay? God rules the world. He creates Adam in his image, and he puts uh, Adam in the garden to rule mm-hmm. as a vice regent, mm-hmm. uh, a, a kind of king, also to work and keep it right. as a, a kind of priest. So he's like this king priest in the garden. And his work, when you really look at it, in a lot of ways, mirrors the work that God has done in creation. In that sense, that it's it's not it's not creation, but it's like cultivating. And even in when you read through Genesis one, he's speaking things into existence, but he's also cultivating, right? He's separating land from sea, sky from water. So there's this kind of dominion and cultivation, and then he rests, and then he gives Adam the same charge: Hey, have dominion, cultivate, um, and don't eat the fruit of this tree. And if you kind of it's funny because we don't really know how long this period was going to be. Maybe it was just if you passed the serpent's um, temptation. But should he obey, he then can enter into the rest, right? There's a there's an eschatological, I love that word, um, makes you sound smart, you know? You start saying eschatological, people are like, oh, wow, he must know what he's talking about. Just I don't. in case you don't know what the word means, it's just <laughs> referring to the study of the end times. Right, the, the end, there's an end time, end of ages view um, here in which um, there's this connection to kind of like the, the ultimate rest, heaven, right? So Adam could enter into rest just as God rested on the seventh day. If Adam passes the test and obeys, he can enter into that rest as well. So already in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, we kind of have the big picture in view of the beginning and the end, looking at, at the rest of God. But Adam fails. Genesis 3. Right, it's the covenant of works, yes. and he fails in the covenant of works. Right. And he uh, falls was, in Genesis 3. He's leaning way forward in that. Sorry if that if I was really loud there. I'm going to lean back a little bit. No, I'm sure it was fine. Uh <laughs> I talked super loud, so I'm, I'm sure it was uh, just fine. But yeah, so he fails in that covenant of works in Genesis 3. And when that happens, this union between uh, dominion and worship, mm-hmm. uh, ruling and reverence there in the garden, it is broken. And we'll just go ahead to Genesis 9. Uh, um, the world is evil. And God floods the earth, and the only ones who are saved is Noah's family, Mm -hmm. because he believed God, and he was obedient to God, did what God told him, and they were in the ark, and then after the flood, God says, you shed the blood of an image bearer, you shed the blood of man, your blood's going to be shed, and what it does is it sets up the common kingdom, it sets up right. the human ins- the human institution of government mm-hmm. in imperfect or at least foreshadows it right right right, right. Mm-hmm. absolutely because it establishes a system of capital punishment right of justice and in in punishment right and so from there though 
We also have in Genesis 15 and 17 covenants being made with Abraham, mm -hmm. Abram, Abraham, and he is going to have a lineage, right? He is going to uh, have a family, uh, a people, and he believes God and is counted to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. And what we find out, we can go ahead and say, in the New Testament, right. as the mystery of the gospel is revealed in the New Covenant, is that anyone who believes God and his plan of mm -hmm. salvation, his plan of redemption, uh, anyone who believes God the way that Abraham did, it is counted to them as righteousness. Right, right. It's accredited to them. The same way it was accredited to Abraham. And they are then a child of Abraham. Mm. Right, right, right. They are part of that part of that starry sky that was too numerous to count. Absolutely. And they are citizens of the redemptive kingdom. Now, in the Old Testament, the redemptive kingdom, the distinguishing mark is circumcision. That's mm -hmm. Genesis 17. And that's our review. That's where we left yeah. off uh, last week. So from there, we talked about it. You could really spend some time, right? We could get into... I mean, Israel it is kind of a little preview mm -hmm. of the the reuniting of a of a it's a, a theocracy, right? Right. You have the kingly and the priestly being reunited uh, within uh, Israel. We could get into some of that. Yeah. We could get into David. The, we could talk about the mosaic covenant, right, the giving of the law, and, and the mirror that points us to Christ because it reveals to us our inability. To uh, keep it, yeah. You could go on and on about covenant theology. There is which so I tried much to do there. in the previous episode. Yes, uh, but some of what you were what you were trying to get at was after we uh, pressed stop on the on the podcast, we kind of was like, "What were you trying to get at there?" I it is going to come back more up articulate here, I think. after we stopped recording because that's how it goes. It right? always works yeah. that way. Uh, Kenny Daria and I did an episode about uh, about you know multi multi gen ministry. Uh, couple months ago and after we turned it off we talked about this we talked yeah. about two kingdoms in government for an hour and we were like we should have recorded we should that have recorded that was so it. much what better than what we yeah. said in the other one yeah. so anyhow uh no some of that is going to come up but yeah. regardless i think we just want to fast forward to jesus here i think everybody would be okay with that because the first adam fails right and this is romans five death spreads to all men right so we're looking that there's the first adam who not only not only did he fail to uh, enter into the rest, but he actually brought sin, brought a curse upon the world, right? Right. And, and so now we have inherited that sin and that curse, um, and so we are kept under that, and we look forward to this the serpent crusher who will also be a second Adam, one who will succeed where Adam failed. We missed that in our review. Important that in the curse in Genesis three right. that is pronounced, there is. A promise, and the promise is that there will be a child who comes from Eve's line who will be, like you said, the serpent crusher. Right, right. He will be bruised. He will step on the serpent's head. So, uh, yes, the second Adam is born. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus. It's foretold by the prophets. He comes. He enters into the covenant of works. Right. 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 Just yes. like yeah. Just he, like at the first Adam did. And it's helpful it's, when you when we're looking at this stuff, and then you go back and read through the Gospels. It's cool because you can see maybe some of the stuff that, like, when we were younger, you're reading, you're like, 
I really don't understand what's going on here. And you get that See, framework. This fig tree yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fig tree do? What does the fig tree do? Yeah. Um, Wasn't even in season. <laughs> <laughs> was he grumpy? I don't understand. But yeah, you see, he's fulfilling all these things. He he's he's literally walking through um, the law. He's walking through this old covenant, uh, and whereas Adam's failing it, he, whereas the first Adam failed at it, the second Adam, Jesus is is fulfilling it and succeeding yeah. um, all the way through, so that he could he could buy for us a righteousness. Absolutely, and so. As John Bunyan says, with every act of obedience, he is weaving that robe of righteousness. He goes all the way to the cross. He dies on the cross for us at Calvary. He resurrects. He ascends to the right hand of God. One day he is going to return. And when he does, the king, Jesus, right? The Mm -hmm. Messiah, the king, who is also... The intercessor mm-hmm. who died on the cross for us, he is our great high priest. Mm-hmm. The king priest, when he returns, now you and I are two amillennialist brothers. Right, right. So we believe when he returns, he's just setting up that, that eternal age. Yeah, we're, we're, it's we're, go time. we're at it. We're off for the races. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just speak that way. Uh, but where, however you believe we get there, if you were listening, pre mill, post mill, on mill. He, he's going to rule on the new earth. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron, and he will do that forever. And it's and, what the and first... that's the rest. That's the rest. That's the rest. That is... So now he has entered into that rest that Adam failed to enter into. And the, But the good news is, as the second Adam, and as our new head, he's bringing us with him. Yes, if you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ then that faith has been counted to you as righteousness. And so now the second Adam is your representative, not the first Adam. Right. And because of that, like you say, you enter into the rest. You are a citizen of the redemptive kingdom. Right. The common kingdom is temporary. The common kingdom will not go on forever. And that takes us to Revelation, where we know the kingdoms of this world will uh, become the kingdoms of the sun. By the way... The kingdom of the sun. When we're looking at Jesus kind of bringing us into the rest, um, that's the latter part of Hebrews 3 going into Hebrews 4. If you want to look at that and see how Jesus, as the better everything, is the one that brings us into the rest that the people of God were unable to fully attain in their sin previously. That's good. And also... When we talk about the new earth and Jesus ruling and reigning as the the second Adam, the king priest, Mm -hmm. and that is our great inheritance to be there with him. When we talk about that, that's what Abraham was looking forward to. When Hebrews 11 is talking about uh, the city that he's looking forward to, we read that passage in the last last week and last episode. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's what he's looking forward to. Correct? Yes. 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 So, and that's what we look forward to because we are children of Abraham. Right. We believe like Abraham believed. And so we're not looking for a, a city made by human hands. We're looking for the city whose architect is the Lord. Right. And, and that's Hebrews 11 that we were talking that's about. Hebrews, the, 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 is that what I said? Did I not say Hebrews 11? Oh, you might have, and I just blanked out. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, we're talking right. about Hebrews yeah, 11. Talking, yeah. I think you did. 
I think you did. I don't know why my brain didn't latch onto that. So, anyways, yes, Hebrews eleven is what I was speaking of. <laughs> Sorry. Which, that's what we read last yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. last episode. So, anyways, I'm, I'm still thinking about the rest. Yeah, you are fired up about resting. I'm, I'm you tired. can't wait. I'm you tired. can't wait for the I'm Lord tired. to return. I'm tired. I've been sojourning. Let me look at me. I'm a sojourner. I, I need rest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So now, until the second Adam returns, mm-hmm. here we are, citizens of the redemptive kingdom. Right. Living here in the common kingdom of man. Mm-hmm. And it's awkward because in the common kingdom, there are these servants who have been put in place. Right. Uh, as Romans 13 tells us, there are these people in high places, as First Timothy 2 talks mm-hmm. about. And they are rulers that are not a terror to good, but are a terror to evil. And they bear the sword. Very, You know, you can see Genesis 9, the connection to Romans 13. They bear the sword, and they bear the sword to restrain evil, to preserve human society, and to provide a peaceful and quiet life, ideally, for the people who live in the common kingdom. And both the just and the unjust in the common kingdom experience this, because God is that merciful and gracious Mm -hmm. towards all that he has made in his image. And so you and I are a part of that. Joe Biden is our president, right? right? And the Constitution... It really, the Constitution in a lot of ways is our ruler here in the United States of America. And yet, we belong to local churches. I have a pastor whose name is Ben Little. Mm -hmm. And if something real stupid happened in my life, Mm -hmm. he would be the one that would put me under some form of church discipline. You know what I'm saying? Like, you at Weston have brothers that you pastor with, and mm-hmm. you are accountable to them, and you submit to them out of reverence for Christ. And uh, there are people in your church who submit to you all for your joy, mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, in order to, to exalt the Lord through submitting to pastoral authority. All those things are true. Right. And they go out and they evangelize. We represent the, the redemptive kingdom out in the world as ambassadors of Christ, we come back to these local churches where we're discipled and filled up and do ministry together and, and, and we walk through life together and all of those things. And yet, we obey the speed limit, just like our atheist friends. We pay our taxes, just like our Hindu friends. And we, uh, we are going to go and vote. Just And, and I'm going to vote. Uh, well, actually, by the time this is published, right, the right. voting will have been done. Right. But uh, I intend to vote for those who will protect life. I don't mind saying that, right? And I will go and do that right alongside people who will vote pro-choice. And that's that's the thing about when we're talking about there's this tension. So it's awkward. It's tension. There's a tension between being sojourners and exiles. And lots of, lots of godly dear brothers and sisters will disagree on the extent and level of our role and what that looks like. Um, so let's talk about that. Yeah, well, I was going to say, what you hit on was this idea, and we can, we can unpack this, is that as citizens of the common kingdom, um, we are fully free to work for justice, the administration of justice, the, um, the upholding of, of justice, uh, alongside those who are only of the common kingdom and not of the redemptive kingdom. You mentioned that you can go vote alongside your Muslim and Hindu friends, right? You can, uh, you know, you can try to get a lower speed limit put up in school zones, right, for the safety of the children in a community, and petition arm in arm right there along with, you know, somebody with an atheist or somebody of a different 
uh, faith that is not of the redemptive kingdom, and that's okay. Um, and try and I think the tension is understanding what is redemptive kingdom work and what is understanding understanding what is common kingdom work. Absolutely, and one so there are some Christians mm-hmm. who say the church should rule the state. Yeah, we we need a church telling the state, "Hey, magistrate, this is what the laws are going to be." Right. Right now. Because, We've seen that before. Right. Because uh, all justice is God's justice, and so you need to up to truly be able to uphold justice, you need to adhere to the law of a holy and perfect God as described in the scriptures, right? Is that the argument? Well, really what it is is papism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's boy, that'll go over well on some theonomists. <laughs> uh, well, that is exactly what that is exactly what Martin Lloyd Jones calls it. Yeah. And that is exactly what Sam Waldron calls it. Yeah. And I think that they are both right when they call it that. And when because that's what it was, right? And you're talking about the Holy Roman Empire, you're talking about the church telling the state, this is how it's gonna be. Right. Or uh I just this past week went to a reenactment at a public library of the 1773 Baptist trials, and John Weatherford from you and I's parts, mm-hmm. Chesterfield County, was put in jail unlawfully, in my opinion, because he didn't have a license to preach mm-hmm. the word of God, because he didn't have a license to get a congregation together and preach, because he didn't go down to the courthouse and take an oral exam, and he didn't agree to all but six of the tenets of the Anglican Church. And he didn't uh, take his little oath down there. Mm-hmm. Then he was not licensed to preach the word of God. And so the Anglican Church told the state, you mm-hmm. put John Weatherford in right. jail. And Archibald Carey did just that, the yeah. magistrate. He put him in jail because he wanted to uphold the law. And we've seen this. I'm sorry. We've seen this. And I, it, it's you don't see this in the Bible. It's not right. encouraged in the New Testament. Um, and it's, it's, it doesn't match up with really the description of what government is supposed to do, which is to restrain evil. Right. So Van Drunen, and, his, he, and it's interesting to see where he lands on uh, some of these distinctives and roles of the church in the, in the common kingdom. He, interestingly, his take is that every, every human government should be a limited government. Because scripture Absolutely. only authorizes the wielding of the sword. This right. The sword is a terrible, terrible right. weapon to mold the conscience with. That's what Sam Waldron right. says in right. this book. Right. It's a, it's no good for that. Right. It's it's good for vengeance. It's for retribution. It's good for uh, for avenging the blood of an image bearer. Right. right? For the servant of good doing that, being a terror to evil, restraining evil in that way, it's good for that. But it's not good for molding conscience. And also, this is where, if you want to talk about kind of like some just war theory stuff, we shouldn't have, and we're getting a little bit away from the papism, but <laughs> you shouldn't have, <clears throat> we're talking about a limited government, shouldn't be going out for like economic purposes and invading other nation states and right. doing those sorts of things. Uh, instead, you should just be restraining well, it's, evil. It's and, tricky because, I mean, to some extent... Sometimes those things come together, the yeah. restraining of evil and the economic interests. And if you really want to get into it, and this is getting in the weeds, we'll yeah, stop we, after yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we don't want to get too into Every Every government, to some extent, 
kind of exceeds the authority if you say it's it's fully restrained to wielding the sword in justice, right? Sure. I mean, to some degree, and I'm not going to go well, into like libertarianism or whatnot, but I mean, you know, you could you could you say why is the government paving roads? That's not wielding the sword, right? But right. no one's going to make that argument, right? But but there's a positive and negative way right. to talk about the government's purpose. Right. So the positive way to talk about it is the peaceful and quiet life that it provides. Right. The negative way to talk about it is the restraint of evil. And some of these common good things like paved roads and, and uh, public schools could, could fall under that. Yeah, it's a peaceful and quiet life. I mean, right. you know, there's no doubt that getting your kid to school today is easier right. than it was to get them to school, you know, 70 years right. ago. Uh, schools themselves are much nicer than right. they are today. Right. Than they were, well, actually, I don't know. We might want to be careful that some, some Dep- school... Depends on the district, right? <laughs> depends on the district. Depends on the district. Yeah. There's some teachers out there who would say, I beg to differ, sir. Yes, so, yes. Uh, yeah, anyhow. Um, Interestingly, and so stop me again if I'm going off into the weeds. Van Drunen also is really restrictive in what he calls ministerial authority of the church within the common kingdom. I remember you telling me about some of that. And I kind yeah. of disagree. He was like, you shouldn't be having food pantries. And I'm gonna be, we have a food pantry and I right. love it. So I'd be like, so You're wrong. I don't disagree. Van Drunen says that um, the church has, min- has ministerial authority within the redemptive kingdom. So that is to administer the sacraments and to preach the word. Yeah. Right? Um, anything outside of that is them exceeding the limits of their authority. So... Is as far as I understand him. Oh, he would hate like our. But you, you and I both had churches that did trunk or treats. Right, right. He would be like, "What are you doing?" Now he would say, "Yeah, you can go to a trunk or treat, but for that to be a ministry of the church." And I would say to him, "Brother, we're preaching the word." Right. At the trunk or treat, <laughs> we're handing out the gospel, and we are inviting people to church. We'll even take it another step forward. N- another step forward, um, abortion clinics. Right, whether you're picketing, whether you're out there to counsel, um, I think Van Drunen and I think other two kingdom got two kingdom guys would say, as an individual Christian operating within the common kingdom, um, trying to stop the murder of unborn children is upholding justice, right? And you can do that individually as a Christian operating within the common kingdom alongside a Muslim, right? Who would want to see the same justice upheld, right? along with a Catholic, let's say, that you might disagree so fundamentally on, on doctrinal issues that you would question, are we within the same? I'm not going to get into that. But you know what I'm saying. Somebody that you would not worship alongside of, you can operate um, in that way. The question is, can, can you do that as an extension of the ministry of the church? Now, I think some of these two kingdom guys would say, no, you and I might disagree, right? I definitely disagree. Uh I think that the church, you don't want to be overly practical and be the one-stop shop for all the spiritual needs of the family down the street, and they come, and they do their laundry at the church, and they go to the gym (laughs) at the church. I mean, you joke, but I mean, geez, there are some of these megachurches that come close to that. Right. I mean, there are megachurches that have gyms. Like, I've heard of those sorts of things. So... I, I have seen some churches with children's play places in them that it's like five McDonald's ones in a church. Right. Like big, giant, combined. I'm not I'm trying to condemn it. I'm just saying that like you see that sort of stuff. I, I'm not saying we need to be that. But I think that a church is free within its context to say, 
hey, we're going we're gonna to go on mission and we're going to, we see a need in our community. We're going to meet that need for the sake of preaching the gospel, not just right. to, not to transform the society, but to, so that they will see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in right. heaven. And if we as a local church, as a gospel outpost, say we're going to do this in an organized way here locally, I just, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want to be legalistic about that. But I do want to say, so the other side of the papism thing would be what is called Erastianism. Mm-hmm. And that is where the, the church is subject to the state. And we just do what they say, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with that either because the state should not be able to tell the church who is in and out, for example. Right. Right? Because that, I believe, is authority that God has uh, put in the hands of his people. And we just talked about Matthew 16 who has Matthew the keys? 18. Who holds the right. keys? Yeah, binding and loosing. Right. So, um, anyhow, those would be like these two views that we would say, no, the, the, when you read Romans 13, it's talking about being subject to the governing mm-hmm. authorities. That is for individual Christians. Mm-hmm. Romans 12 is so clearly, he's, he's giving them these instructions that is how they go about and they, how they go out and in the common kingdom live and interact with people. Um, so you can, they're really these like short, almost staccato commands there at the end of Romans 12. Then you get into Romans 13 and we, as citizens of the redemptive kingdom, live out the second table of the law. Paul talks all about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that is how we represent the Lord here in the common kingdom. And we, as we do that, are subject to the governing authorities. But the institution of the local church, it is a separate authority that belongs to the redemptive kingdom. It is not subject to the governing authorities in the sense that it bows down to them and does what they say. Like, so they're not going to come in here and tell us you have to marry LGBTQ people. Right. You have to do that, Pastor Kenny. You have to do that, Pastor Mike. We'll say no. Weddings are a ceremony of worship. They are worship right. services here in our church. You have no jurisdiction here. You will not tell us who we can marry and not marry. Right. And they might say, well, we're going to put you in jail for that. And there have been a lot of good men and women in situations of that nature who have gone to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily about that issue, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. In situations yeah. like this. And so could we see that in our generation? I don't know. Maybe. A lot of people talk about that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But that would be an example of where we would say, sorry, Caesar, we render unto you what is due unto you. We pay our taxes. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll honor, we have honor to whom honor is due. The president right. walks in the room, I'll stand up. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'll put my hand over my heart and I'll say the Pledge of Allegiance at the baseball game. Mm-hmm. Or, and that, that's not what we do there. I'll, <laughs> I'll listen to the Star Spangled Banner and look at the flag of the baseball game. Or I'll say the Pledge of Allegiance in the, you know, the public school classroom right, or whatever. Right. Um, as a part of this common kingdom. I've got no problem doing those things. But this is the redemptive kingdom and... Caesar doesn't have the authority to tell us how to right. worship he has, here. He has no jurisdiction in the right. redemptive kingdom. And so Caesar is an authority belonging to the common kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the church has an authority that is derived from the redemptive kingdom. Right. Belongs to the redemptive kingdom, if you want to say it that way. That's, that's Van Druden's ministerial authority again. Okay, yeah. And, 
And so uh, this I is, think. yeah, yeah. And so this is talked about by Van Drunen. It's talked about by Martin Lloyd Jones. I've got that out right here in front of me, but I'm, I can't seem to find like a good quote that I just want to pull, <laughs> which is always the problem when I have a book out when I'm doing a <laughs> podcast. I feel, but anyhow. Um, some Christians who are citizens of the redemptive kingdom get called to be the president. We've had, we've right. had Christian presidents. Right. We've had people who say they're Christians that are not Christians and the president also. Yeah. Uh, just because you put your hand on the Bible and take the uh, oath of office, a Christian you are not. <laughs> um, but, Did you know there was a president that didn't take it on the Bible? I think there's been multiple. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, but like an older one. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank on who he was. But like, I mean like... I want to say Theodore Roosevelt didn't. I think I, think I read that. But the, Oh, I know what it was. He, he uh, swore on the Constitution. Yeah. Not on a Bible. I can't remember who... Bushy, bushy Cyburns, but I can't think bushy of... Bushy Cyburns. You know, back in that era where they all had like Bushy Cyburns and like high collars and... I hope that never comes back. I could grow them. I, I can do Bushy Cyburns if I wanted. My wife would hate it. They were real big in like the 90s. I feel like all like the rock bands had like the bushy sideburns and the goatees. And I'll tell you, I was at that, I went to that little recreation at the library and I was looking at the garb of the, uh, <laughs> of the reenactor, you know, and I was like, can I be one of these guys that goes, that like, could, at some point, it, it tends to be older guys. Yeah. You don't see a lot of guys, you don't see a lot of 27 year olds reenacting the uh, 1773 <laughs> Baptist trials, right? But, you know, this guy, was older the the whole the whole crew that put on the thing they were all senior adults they did a great job and as i'm sitting there watching i'm like can i be one of these guys when i get older that i just get so into baptist yeah. history and all this stuff that i'm going around and then i was looking at him and how there were features that were per, like fairly permanent like he had clearly he's growing his facial hair in a way right right, right? he's he wants to look a certain way so when he puts on his stuff it's legit it's authentic yeah right so I just thought, could I be one of these guys? And I thought about my wife, if the Lord would give us the years in our 70s, and I'm walking around looking like Millard Fillmore or whatever, so that I can reenact something. That might have been who it was. I don't know. I just got a name. So, Anyways, back to this. Some Christians will be called to be the President of the United States. Right. But that doesn't mean that every Christian needs to go and be politically active. But there are some who say, no, we need to go out there, and we all have to go be super uber over the top into it fighting tooth and nail for every policy we should be watching c-span we should be in on every single mm -hmm. boat we should be following every jot and tittle of what is happening you have a responsibility to do that because we need to mm -hmm. either take over right? Right, right or we need to transform culture or redeem culture like these would all be terms that get used by different parties mm-hmm and as two kingdoms, guys... And by parties, you don't mean political parties. You mean... Different... Theological parties, right? Theological parties are just the, the way... Some people are going to say, listen, Adam had a mandate. Mm -hmm. and this is what yes. you were trying to get at in the last podcast. When I was trying we, to get into the covenant, uh, the different covenants. Yeah. Uh, so Adam had a mandate. And since he had this mandate uh, to have dominion, we got to have dominion. Let's go right. take over the government, or let's redeem culture, or let's mm -hmm. all of that. Any you'll you'll hear like more left leaning Christians, like kind of center left Christians, use words like redeem culture. Right. You'll right. hear more center right 
or even like hardcore right uh, <laughs> Christians use terms like transform culture right. or let's take over the magistrate let's, right, let's right. go get, tell that magistrate what to do uh, that would be that would be like real full-on post-millennial Christian nationalism yeah. uh, but when we're talking about those sorts of folks they're all a lot of them are all going to point back to that Genesis mandate right that Adam got I think that so the, the key is you have to justify those actions and yeah. so you want to do it with the scriptures, right? And so where do you go to justify trying to trying to exercise that level of authority and control? And that's what they're going to do. They're going to go to um, the mandate given to Adam and say, now, and I think if I'm understanding it correctly, now under the new covenant, we because we have new natures in Christ, we are now fully freed and equipped to now accomplish that. Whereas under the old, before when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we couldn't because we were under the first Adam. But now that we're under the second Adam, now we are able to actually do it. So go at it. Go, go finally achieve what Adam didn't. That's their argument. You're that's saying. yes. That's what I'm saying. That's, I, I think that's their argument. And we would respond and say the second Adam has, Fulfilled. There's no need to because Christ, as the second Adam, has fulfilled all of that. Right. So our job now is to just follow him into the rest. And build Back the redemptive the... kingdom along the way. Right, exactly. So right. Um, he says, my kingdom is not of this world, which tells us as kingdom builders mm -hmm. that we are not building a kingdom of this world. We're building a kingdom of another world, a world that is to come. Is that fair? Yes, and I think a, a big key, so 1 Peter 2, 9 through um, 12, which Old Palatine Baptist Church recites this every Sunday because this is kind of kind of our identity markers. Not our, huh? it's theirs. You're not, you're not a part of that anymore. You no, 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 what them. I'm saying is, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I'm I see joking. what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> I still am doing that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, no, no. So he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So that's that's the grace given to us as we are included um, into the redemptive kingdom, right? And so now our activity, and I think this is counter what you're talking about, which is like the takeover government kind of right. thing. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, so that would be unbelievers, unbelievers those who are not children of Abraham. Not the true Israel. The true Israel. Because the true yeah. Israel are Jews and Gentiles who have the faith of Abraham and the right. God's and, and are the true offspring of Abraham. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, so when you're getting that that cultural pushback from those who belong solely to the common kingdom, um, they may see your good deeds. And I think that's key because I think some of the, the, the criticism maybe for those who are advocating for a stronger influence over government would say that you guys who are just like, hey, we're sojourners and exiles, you are apathetic and you've got your head buried in the sand, right? And you're just, you're, you, are, you have no, you're, no spiritual muscles to flex, you're just drifting along if you are not engaging in the same activities that we are. And our rebuttal, I think, would be, well, no, 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 because this is what we're called to do, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that is our activity within the common kingdom for the good of our neighbors, for the upholding of justice. So there are some Christians who are super hardcore abolitionists. Like, I, I believe every Christian should be an abolitionist. Right. When I'm talking, and when I say abolitionist, I'm talking about abortion. Uh, I think that every Christian should be an abolitionist. But if you, but some of them, like, is their life's work. Mm-hmm. Right. And praise God. And our hope is that those in the common kingdom would see their good deeds and that they would glorify God. Right. Uh, some Christians are called to be mechanics. Right. You were one for a while. Right, right. And in that shop, day in, day out, they are representing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, as we like to say here on this program. Right, right. And uh, the hope is that the other mechanics and, and foremen and everyone else who works there will see the good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Some Christians are called to be senators. Some are called to be shoe salesmen. Whatever. We could go on and on and on. We all have different things God calls us to do to represent the redemptive kingdom in the common kingdom. It's the story of uh, the shoemaker that uh, came to the Lord and asked Martin Luther, well, what do I do now? And he was just like, make a good shoe and charge a far, fair price. Yeah. It's, it's, Don't put a little know. cross on the shoes yeah, let yeah. me know you're a Christian. Make a good shoe. Make a good shoe and charge a fair price. And that's, that's why... That's, that's working within the common kingdom um, in, a, in a just and fair way. And that's why in the book of Jeremiah, you see the instructions, right? That they are to live there uh, as exiles, but to work for the good of the city, right? Even though they're exiles. And so that's what we do. We work for the good of the city. And the government should be providing us a peaceful and quiet life to be able to do that. Right. And I know a lot of people are like, well, what what happens when they don't? Well, then vote them out. In this country, you vote them out. Um, You write them letters. You yeah. make the phone calls. You go march. You protest peacefully, right? Mm-hmm. You do all. You, you exercise your constitutional rights. Praise right. God, we live in a place where we can do that. That's what you do, and and we could have other conversations about should Bonhoeffer tried to have killed Hitler or not. Those are other things we right, could talk right, about. Right. But for us here, the direct application for those out there, you don't like it, then change it through the process that's in place. But also, don't just sit at home and complain. Get out there and do the work of representing the redemptive kingdom in the common kingdom. Right. So, we are uh, out of time here. Is there any closing thing you want to say? I mean, it's got to be fairly pithy. Yeah, I, I would say that, as I collect my thoughts, I, I think that the, for us as sojourners and exiles, what we have to remember is that we are future-oriented. Right. We are looking forward to entering the rest. We're looking forward to the kingdom that is to come. And that informs not only our activity, but I think even our mindset. So I have a quote here um, that, that ties in, um, maybe not directly to our last point, but does tie into everything that we're talking about. It's from a British pastor named Matthew Hoser. He says, um, It is a future-oriented hope that enables the Christian to overcome existentialist fear. It means that we invest in life. We plant trees, have babies, and build houses as statements of faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It is future hope that provides us with the faith to invest in life now. World without end, amen? Absolutely. And uh, along those lines, it's Romans 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. The time he's talking about is this this age of witness where we are doing the work of the kingdom until the Lord returns. 
that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He's talking about the return of the Lord. Yeah. He's saying about salvation. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. He's talking about the day of the Lord. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you represent the, yeah. the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, president. Put on yeah. the Lord Jesus Christ, senator, mechanic, shoe salesman, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Yeah. So. Amen. All right. Well, I listen, we're a couple of guys kind of, uh, we're, we're not two experts. We're no, a couple of guys is, bouncing through this we're, thing we're, here. We, uh, we, we're not working on PhDs in this area. This is us just kind of. Two pastors trying to figure this thing out. Wading through the waters. Yeah. yeah. And kind of stumbling a little bit. I bet you if we went back a year from now, if we keep kind of learning, we'll listen to some of the stuff that we have to say tonight. We'll record another podcast. We'll, <laughs> we'll be like, oh my gosh, we were saying this. We didn't even know what the common kingdom was. Yeah. If Listen, my two uh, couple of recommendations, Citizens in Exiles, Christian Faithfulness in God's Two Kingdoms by Scott Annual, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, his 357-page uh, commentary just on Romans 13. Both are great. Citizen Exiles, super light read. I would say it's good entry-level stuff for Two Kingdoms. And then uh, maybe Van Drunen. Yeah, I would recommend David Van Drunen, Living in God's Two Kingdoms. And then if you are one who listens to podcasts, I would recommend Two Age Sojourner. Um, these guys, they're fun guys. They're sharp guys. They're, they're, they are in New Zealand and the UK. So they have great accents. Excellent. Um, and they, they hash out basically everything we talked about here only probably a little bit better and with cooler sounding accents. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right, Christian, how is your soul doing? As we close up our podcast, how is your soul? Like, How are you really doing? Is God's grace at work in your life? How would you like to see His grace at work in your life? Take some time to think about these questions. Examine yourself. Make your calling and election sure. Do some of that thinking. You need to talk to a pastor. Reach out to us at connect at seafordbaptist.com. And we would be happy to, uh, to talk to you and, and to provide some level of pastoral counsel and care. All right, until next time, keep living the pilgrim life, representing the kingdom of God and the common kingdom of man. <laughs>